0: Salam and welcome to the Anything, Anytime, Anyplace for No Reason at All podcast. I am your host, Robert Bishara, a scholar, activist, and a fine artist based in northern New Mexico. My guest today is Nadia Shanab. She is an Egyptian singer, songwriter, and musician, born and raised in Cairo, Egypt. In 2011, Nadia released her debut album, El Mahroosa, which was re-released as a deluxe edition in 2019. Her latest EP is titled "Habeta Urlik. Nadia is currently exploring and experimenting with an Afro-Egyptian sound, hoping to reconnect Egypt with the rest of Africa, musically. Hi, Nadia, and thanks for joining me on my podcast. Hi. Uh, I want Hi. to tell you, first of all, uh, Ramadan Kareem.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: Yes, and uh, how, first of all, I want to ask, uh, how are you coping with uh, COVID-19?
1: Um, I've been home for, for several weeks now, and it's, uh, it's quite difficult to stay sane um, in, the, in the current circumstances. And I, don't, I personally don't mind being home um, any, for extensive periods of time. It's just, I think, having everyone at home at the same time. Uh, you don't get much privacy or, or uh, time to focus uh, on whatever it is you want to do. Even working from home can sometimes be difficult. I know my mom has been complaining. Mm. Um, but And I'm starting to miss socializing and the outside world quite, some, quite a yeah. bit.
0: I can relate to that. Uh, so my dear friend, Nadia, we go way back. We met 15 yeah. years ago. Can you believe it?
1: Oh, my God, is it 15?
0: <laughs> that makes us seem old, right? Yes, yeah,
1: so I feel very old right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I when I was like doing the math, I was like, wow, 15 years.
2: Wow.
0: How crazy is that, the way yeah. time passes? I think
1: we met, um, it was my first year at university at AUC.
2: Um, yeah,
0: so I'm going to get to that. But before I we get into the history bit, I actually want to talk about your recent EP, which is mm-hmm. incredible, by the way. Uh, it's you like it? I love it. And uh-huh. uh, it's right. called uh, Habita Ullak, which would be yes. translated as I loved to tell you, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: that's
0: And so the EP, yes. along with uh, a music video, were released on April 13th, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. uh, this is what you write about it. Uh, 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 written entirely in Arabic, it harnesses a more Egyptian sound than its uh, precursor, al Mahrusa while subtly infusing slivers of African influences from Mali, Morocco, and Sudan. So tell us about the process of writing and recording uh, Habita ollak particularly the slivers of African influences on your music.
1: Okay. Um, so I've been working on the content for this EP for quite a few years now. Um, some of the songs were written in 2017, some actually in like 2011 mm-hmm. and have just been like kind of cast aside and, um, waiting to be revisited at a later date. Um, and in 2018, I decided I wanted to, to, to record something, whether it's an EP or an album, I, I hadn't decided yet, but I wanted to kind of collect all the tracks that in my view were finished. Mm-hmm. And um I approached um, some session musicians um, here in Cairo, uh, and we decided to to meet. Um, we rehearsed we had just one session to, in the studio to rehearse, and then the next day we were in the studio recording. Um, the tracks were all written by me and arranged by by me as well, um, composed and and the lyrics and everything. Um, they kind of. They're an eclectic mix in terms of the subject. Habit Aulak, the title track, is quite like this light, flirty, lovey-dovey song, kind Mm -hmm. of like a declaration of love. Um, Very commercial sound, like kind of your typical Egyptian pop song. Um and then the other tracks, uh, some have uh, kind of more deeper lyrics um, uh, like Do, the second track on the EP it's a bit um, it's a bit deeper in terms of the content. it's um, kind of discussing, being feeling stuck somewhere um almost like between a rock and a hard place and not necessarily knowing where you're going or feeling like a lot of uh, doors are, are are closing in your face so like the, the word do, uh, like translates into knock it's kind of like almost this relentless urge for for a good opportunity or something good or something positive to come knocking on your door mm-hmm. um which I think is a feeling a lot of people experienced after the revolution and the kind of like this this uh, political situation um here in, in in Egypt and a lot of a lot of young people were kind of just they felt stuck they don't they're looking for something some sort of hope to hold on to but are are finding it hard to find something um so that was kind of what that song kind of Touches on.
0: And to give context to our listeners, the revolution, meaning the 25th of January 2011 revolution in, yes. in Egypt, yes.
1: Um, so, a lot of I think that, that 2011 kind of gave a lot of people hope, thinking that change was about to come. And then you're just kind of actually surprised with actually, we're not going anywhere. Um, and a lot of people were just very disappointed and felt very, very stuck. Um, and and depressed about it so it toys with that idea it's not completely just about that it's just also about you know um, self-doubt and w- wondering about where you are taking your dreams and whether they are still valid and it's just it has different layers but it has a lot to do with how I was feeling at that time um, and then the other tracks they they all some of them are just kind of like um Not necessarily very personal, but uh, just that they were an idea that I wanted to toy with. Um, Especially uh, Bissalema, it has a more like Sudanese feel, but it also has a very, um, um, what's it called? Um, uh, Like a folk storytelling type uh, vibe uh, with the call and response as well. So it's very folky.
0: Yeah, Um, Bissalema is a very funky track too.
1: You like that one?
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And then, of course, um. there's a Sikkat Tawila. So there are four tracks in the EP. Uh, the EP, of course, is available everywhere, all uh, streaming uh, services. So I definitely recommend it to all listeners. Uh, the single from the EP, Habit Ulluk, this song reminds me of Aidal Ayyubi, actually. Who's, Does it? Wow. Yeah, who's one of my favorite musicians of all time.
1: Yes, there's, she's uh, like
0: Do you like her as well?
1: I do, and actually, the funny thing is, Abdel Ayub's music is what inspired me to first start writing in Arabic. Mm. Um, Liverpool. Um, I, I, up until that point, I was still writing in only in English, and I was listening to a lot of Abdel Ayub's um, like super old tracks that were like part of my childhood, yes. and it was like an inspiration. I was like, ah, maybe I can let's start toying with this with this uh, mother tongue of mine, you know, and see what yeah. what I can
0: so I got mm-hmm. something right there. And okay, um, and of course, she's an ACN as well. Uh, yeah. and, um, so yeah. she went to the American University in Cairo. Uh, but that song in particular, uh, the title track, there's a beautiful nostalgia that you captured in the music, uh, our wonderful Egyptian folklore. Mm-hmm. And the music video also captures that, which is a really cool video uh, shot in El Fayoum, an oasis not far from Cairo, How's the process of shooting the video?
1: It was very fun, actually. Um, I was very nervous about it because um, I hadn't been shooting, I hadn't shot a video since I think it was in 2011 and I'm not very comfortable in front of the camera. It's something I'm hoping to, to work on a bit more, because uh, I love being on stage. I've always been like uh, I've acted in plays and, and, and school productions and all sorts, and I'm, I, I love being on stage singing. But I'm not very comfortable in front of the camera. Um, it took me a while to to find someone that I uh, I felt I would be comfortable to work with um, for the video, uh, which is actually the main reason why the EP had been so delayed in being released because the the music had actually been ready since late 2018. Wow. Um, and then I, because it, it stayed, like, the delay took so long, I, I started revisiting the tracks, and I felt like I can, I, I wanted to change some things, so we went back into the studio. I redid some of my vocals, and we adjusted some things in the mastering and the, and the levels. Um, and then I it went back into the drawer, kind of waiting until the video was ready so that I can release the um, the single and the video at the same time. Um, The director I worked with um, was actually, uh, his name is Besam Al-Kahki. I actually know him from when I was teaching at an international school here in Cairo. Mm. Um, He was a student at the school, While I was teaching I never actually taught him But we interacted Because he used to come into my class uh, Like during break times And his free periods And he would um, I don't know uh, Borrow um, an instrument From the music department And he would You know Spend his free lesson Doing that So I knew who he was But I never taught him And then When he knew That I was looking For someone to To do a video with He reached out And he's like Listen I'm, I'm back in Egypt And he had been Studying abroad for a while and, and he's like I, I, I'd be interested in doing this with you so we we, um, we met a couple of times we agreed on the concept and um, we went to Fayoum for the day uh, and shot the video and came back
0: yeah, it's really beautiful and uh, captures like uh, especially the sunset shots and the colors of the sky uh, mm. and you wear a really cool dress in the video too
1: oh you like that? yeah <laughs>
0: It's uh, very traditional and cool. Um, you know, I actually, uh, I wrote a composition called Tunis You" inspired by, by this Tunis. This was actually in
1: Tunis, yeah, yeah it was
0: Tunis. So that's sure. interesting. So let me ask you, um, how did you get into music? Like, the, the when did that start for you?
1: Um, when I was quite young at, uh, in primary school, uh, I was always involved in kind of in, in choirs and school productions, um, often taking like the, the, the lead role in musicals and, and, and drama productions at, at the school. Um, and then I think it was when I was in year grade nine, I, I chose music as a, as a GCSE subject. So I, I specialized a bit more in that and started kind of uh, looking into songwriting and performing uh, a bit more seriously. Um, and I think it was my last year at school that I was expressing to my teachers that I would like to study music at a, at a university level, but we didn't have that back in the day in, 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 in Egypt. You only had the conservatoire, but like, yeah. I didn't want to study that. I wanted to, something a bit more commercial, more contemporary, yeah. um, And my teacher uh, back then um, suggested I look at the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts. Um, So I went and I I did my my research. Um, This is actually a university that's um, uh, the lead patron is uh, Paul McCartney from the Beatles. And he uh, it used to be his high school, like it was his secondary Uh school building. And he saw that it had become derelict and um, he, along with other people, took it on and turned it into a performing arts institute. Um, yeah,
0: and I'm going to ask you more about um, the school, but before we get there, like growing up, what were some of your musical inspirations?
1: Um I always I was always the one that's singing. Uh, I sang at home. I sang on the beach. I sang everywhere. Like um, when it was when we were much younger, I would instead of writing, you know, like signing people's yearbooks. Mm. Instead of just signing the book, I would write a poem and then sing it out to them. So I was always known as this this person in the class or in the year group that was in, heavily involved in music somehow mm. uh, and and being creative. Um I remember at one point when I was maybe ah, 12, 13, uh, deciding I wanted to be a musician and asking my mother, is this something that she would be okay with? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually quite surprised when she said yes. I think I, part of me was ex- expecting her to say no and expecting some sort of, uh, like, uh, argument to, to, to enroll. Um, but, uh, but she was like, yeah, why not? And I'm, I don't I, we never actually had that conversation about that, uh, that, that talk, but uh, um, at that point, this is what this was one of the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to write songs and I wanted to perform them. Um, but later on, I never took it seriously. So throughout my secondary school, it was just something that I, I liked to do as a hobby. I never fully considered doing it as a career. Yeah. Um, so it sounds so actually like, I, go ahead. I was just uh, I I invested myself in a lot of um, you know physics and maths and Mm. this is like the other side of of, of studying that at school because I maybe part of me didn't think it was um, a serious career or something that I should be doing full time.
0: And so I I mean it sounds like music was always a part of you uh,
2: growing
1: Mm -hmm. up
0: but what were some of your favorite music growing up?
1: Um I had quite a bit of an eclectic taste I think and uh, which I do until this day but um I used to listen a lot to the cranberries um I used to listen to Phil Collins to Aida Ayyubi, to Amr Diab which I think a lot of Egyptians listened to growing up mm-hmm. um maybe I don't listen to him much now but but growing up definitely he was something I, I listened to all the time uh, Cat Stevens mm. um I ha- and then, like maybe towards my high school years, my 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 taste kind of changed when it when it came to a point where I was the one kind of um, picking what I was listening to because a lot of these things, the, like mm. Phil Collins, at Cat Stevens, these were like what my parents were listening to. Even Isil Ayubi, this is like my my mother's. Um, what we used to listen to in the car. Mm. Um, later on, I I liked uh, Deep Purple and Pink Floyd and. Um, I think I ventured into kind of dance music, so techno and trance at some point. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was. It, I, had, I had. There's a journey in my taste. It kind of evolved over a long period of time. Right.
0: Mm. Very interesting. I don't know about the techno side.
1: Yeah, that was a, there was a time where, like, this is when we go out. This is what we listen to. We go out and rave. We have our glow right. sticks. <laughs> <It's pretty funny.
0: laughs> I remember uh, you had a tattoo on your arm i think of musical notes
1: uh no i oh this is so funny that you remember that yeah. um it was toying with the idea of getting them but no i didn't i didn't get the notes. or maybe sense. you drew but it
0: yourself i drew it yeah right maybe. so i remember that um tell us about your commitment to pan-africanism because i know this is something you're very passionate about
1: So I grew up in a in a political household. Um, My grandfather is currently um, uh, the president of the National Council for Human Rights. Mm. Um, But back in the day in the 60s, he was actually um, kind of the architect of um, Pan-African Afro-Asian relations. He was um, Um, He had several hats, but this is the one that kind of influenced the pan-Africanism in me personally. Um, So he helped a lot of um, African liberation movements. Um, set up office here in Cairo and helped um, orchestrate whatever it is they were planning in in their respective um, countries. So he actually ended up knowing a lot of um, future leaders of African nations before they were what they were, when they were maybe uh, still trying to uh, get rid of the English or the French or whoever it is that was um, calling their their countries. so when I was growing up, I was always seeing all these pictures of him with different African leaders. And at one point he would, you know, like teach me all their names and I would, you know, uh, kind of recite them back to him. I knew them all off by heart. Uh, some of them, the names are, escape me right now. But I remember there was Lumumba and there's Mandela, there's all sorts. Um, and so there was always this curiosity uh, towards Africa, because he was always telling me of all of the different stories when he travelled to different nations, the experiences he had and the places he visited. Um, but I had never heard any of the music. Mm. Um, and growing up, I always felt that, or kind of, I can't find the word, but like just wondered why, as Egyptians, we we don't. Completely identify as African, or a lot of people don't right. and where this is what I felt we were before any I felt we were you know Arab out because we speak Arabic, but not because of this is who we are as an ethnicity or as a as a people right. um, anyway, growing uh, I think it was maybe two thousand and thirteen um, a colleague of mine when I was teaching here in Cairo, he shared with me some um, music by a specific uh, Nigerian artist, Fela Kuti. Mm-hmm. Um, he introduced me to his music and said, oh, you need to listen to this because he." I was talking to him that I was teaching um, a, a, a chapter on African music to my students. Mm. Um, so he's like, you need to listen to this musician. Uh, it, it, he's very important to know. Right. So once I discovered his music I was just in complete awe and when you read more about who Fela was and what he stood right. for you do not agree with everything he does but there's a, a like when it comes to the politics when it comes to um what he stood for on that side of of life um it was, I found it very um, very inspiring
0: it was kind of larger than life and he did so many yeah.
1: things and then, when I moved to the u k for my second time i um, I socialized a lot with uh, with um, Nigerians there uh, and so they introduced me to their current um, contemporary sound what they call niger pop or um, in the u k or in the West they call it afrobeat um, as opposed to afrobeat, which is what Fela used to do right. um, and just discovering that world opened up a completely different sound, not just the Nigerian one, I started discovering yeah. other African uh, genres. And it, it kind of like ignited that passion I had from when I was a, a child and this this curiosity for Africa. Right. But now it was a target like concentrated in music, which was my other passion. So it yeah. was like a an interesting kind of um, meeting of both sides of me.
0: So that's kind of uh, serendipitous, isn't it? Like the seeds that were planted by your father uh, with these pictures early on in your childhood and then you finding um, the materiality of Pan-Africanism, not just as an idea, but as a reality in the music.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, definitely,
0: definitely. So do you imagine, uh, go ahead.
1: Before I even discovered completely like uh, uh, all of these um the different the, the the different sounds coming out of africa i had I had been doing fusion, but like re- when once I discovered African music, it felt a lot more natural that this is the kind of fusion I should be doing instead of you know um more just uh, Arabic and western sounds yeah
0: it's very rhythmic and just like t- hearing different instruments. Right
1: mm-hmm. different
0: arrangements definitely, um, but there's something free about it, too, especially the the more dance oriented uh, stuff, right there's almost something ecstatic yeah. about it
1: definitely, and there's there's this this energy that comes out of it, the vibe is so different to yeah. to any other music I've heard, even people who i like sometimes when people come over to my my place well, before this lockdown thing, yeah
2: um,
1: or if they are with me in the car. This is the kind of music I play. Something maybe from Kenya, something from from Nigeria, and they always comment like that. The music it they just want to dance; they can't yeah. sit. Absolutely. And it, it has that infectious kind of beat that just makes you want to move.
0: It would be interesting to see you work on something like that in the future. That's mm. uh, very yeah. rhythmic and 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 dance-like, right? Um, yeah. Do you imagine so? On the theme of pan-Africanism, do you imagine? Uh, something like an African Union similar to the EU, but a real one because we have like a symbolic one, but an actual African Union.
1: There are a lot of talks, I think, currently happening on... on Different uh, different fronts. I know some countries have already opened like uh, um, uh, visas upon arrival for for other uh, for people from African countries um, and and all sorts of kind of uh, ease of travel. Mm-hmm. But it, it needs to, it needs some some serious uh, talks between the countries to to help each other out and to to give us as Africans some sort of you know advantage. Mm-hmm. And I think if Africa. Unites together and 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 works on the same front. Yes. Um, there, there's no limit to what we can do because we we have the people, we have the resources, yes. we, we, we so much.
0: Because I like can, you know, in the global north and you know Euro America, there's this uh, kind of um, imagination uh, about Africa and poverty and and mm-hmm. all of that. But of course, the continent as uh, there's this history of colonization but there's also a lot of richness in the continent in terms of people like she said culture music resources and so it's definitely not poor Uh, if anything we're just dealing with the effects of colonization uh, right and so if we unite and we work together and we collaborate we're going to be much stronger
1: Exactly. Exactly. We just need to decolonize um, our minds because I feel so many of us are programmed to always look at Europe and this uh, and America uh, to to uh, as if that everything good has to only come out of these two places. Yeah. Um, where when you look for good music, they immediately look to the West. But there's so much art and so much music and coming out of this continent and it is not second best it is is the quality is is brilliant and you i think if we focus more on that and celebrate it more Mm -hmm. and support it um it it can there's no limit to what it can do
0: and i think uh, i want to ask you about this because it's a very problematic term i know you use it but you probably use it with some you you feel iffy a little bit about it that term world music Right, which is mm. a very Eurocentric term, right? <laughs> so there's like all kinds of genres within Western music, but then there's this one big genre for everything else that's world music, right?
1: It's like the label that's like, it's like other, you know? It's right. like, it, it, it's the other box. And definitely, I feel very iffy about it because it was coined in the 80s by um, white men, basically. Um, and it's everything that they don't know how to label right. um, it's, an umbrella. And you have, yeah. it's an umbrella and it's way too wide you know like you you have the world even like if you look at the awards and the grammys and you, it, they have the, the term world music and it, it, it encompasses so many different things that you can't really compare right. um, and and it's a shame um, I don't know how we can go about changing that um, this is something I
0: think we have to fight
1: Definitely, it needs it needs more awareness. It needs more education, um, because even when when I like when I talk about the the, the kind of music I want to do, like if I talk about Afro fusion or African music, African music is so vast. Yes. You know, you have it, it, Africa is not a country; it's it's a continent, and even within each specific country that exists, it has different genres Absolutely. that are particular to it. So you can't just you know clamp. Clump it all together and say African music. Absolutely. Even that, even that—that um, that phrase generic, is yeah. exactly. Even within I,
0: Egyptian music, you have many genres. Exactly.
1: So. Exactly. So you can't, you can't generalize. I was at a conference um, a, a couple of years ago, um, I think it was 2018, in Ghana. It was um, on the, off the back of the African Music Awards. Uh, they had this uh, kind of music business uh, conference that was happening, and they were talking about how can we get African music out to the world and, you know, uh, getting people to listen. And then I, I just I wanted to say, excuse me, why are we talking about African music as if it's all one genre you can 't compare right. they were comparing African music to reggae, um, which in itself is an African diaspora kind of uh, right. genre, but you, you can 't compare one specific genre to all of the genres of a continent yeah. um, and and you also instead of focusing on getting African music out to the world. How about connecting African music to each other first within the continent? Yes. Um, because like I know people here in Egypt that had never heard music from elsewhere in the continent, uh, people in Ethiopia that are may not be aware of what's going on in Nigeria, people in Namibia not aware of what's going on in you know, in, in, in Ghana or in South Africa. So it's it we, we need to, to be more aware of what's happening on our continent first before we want to export it to the rest of the world. Because actually, with the numbers of of people that we have in Africa, if you have the African population listening to your music, I think you'll you'll be set for life.
0: And then we can worry
1: about the rest of the world later.
0: So related to this point, uh, because you asked the question of why Egyptians don't identify with African identity. And I actually have a friend, her name is May Kozba, who is doing her uh, dissertation on this specific topic which is oh. why Egyptians have this complex of thinking that they're somehow better than African mm. right because it is a complex uh, at the end of the it
1: day is a which I think also stems from colonization absolutely I think maybe I, I don't like to 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 always resort to the same like you know hanging up all our problems on the same issue but it but it is I think it stems from that
0: no but it's very true i mean uh, i mean the, if you look at the history of egypt it has been colonized for most of the history and mm-hmm. and then when it was liberated in 1952 and became a republic uh there was like a military regime set up so i mean it was decolonization but still we haven't yet achieved full liberation right um
2: Definitely.
0: So uh, now I'm going to get a little bit into the history part, which is uh, we met in 2005. So that's why we know each other 15 years ago. Uh, we worked yeah. on family stories together at the yeah. American University in Cairo, and that's how we met for the first time. Mm-hmm. And for the uninitiated family stories, there's a slapstick tragedy by Biljana Serblianovic. I did my best pronouncing that. And I played the character of Voin, who was also the sound designer and composer for the play. And I believe you were the props mistress? Back yes, then? I was. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, what did you think of that play, by the way?
1: I really enjoyed that play. I remember when I first... Because um, I don't know if you remember, we were also part of... We took a course that was on the design team for Yes,
0: that. with stencil, uh, right? Stencil. Camp.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so in order to get into the course, I had to do an interview. Um and so they gave you like the they gave us the, the, the what's it called? The the script and we had to come in for this interview um to to discuss um, our role and why we wanted to do this. And I was a freshman and that I think it was like a,
0: Was it your first a, semester?
1: It was or second. Uh, it was my first semester, and the the like when I, for when I did the interview, okay. but the actual play and like the course was my second semester. Okay. So I was like, you know, like super super fresh, and. Um, but that's
0: kind of a strong beginning, right? To get involved in I, a, I loved, a main stage production. I
1: loved it, I loved it and um, actually, they said that they they don't usually take on freshmen because hmm. it's a three hundred level course, but um, okay, I I, I took with it. On Maybe. <laughs> maybe they wanted more numbers. I
0: don't know. Yeah. No, no. You, um, I know that you're you're very confident, and so they saw that. Uh, so in 2006, uh, you were also the props mistress for a play that I produced and directed called mm-hmm. Jack or the Submission. Do you remember that?
1: Yes, I do. I, do. <laughs> I remember um, going to al Balah to buy um, zebra pattern fabric. <laughs> <laughs> Can you
0: describe for those who don't know Egypt, uh, what it is?
1: Um, it's this open-air market, kind of like, um, that, that usually they sell a lot of fabric mm-hmm. and funnily enough, a lot of bras. This is what I remember of it. I think it was my first <laughs> time there. I just remember them selling bras in the middle of the street like men like holding these bras up to their chest and not wanting to sell them to you. And <laughs> then fabric. I wonder that what my surreal. grandma actually mm.
0: <laughs> And of course the play itself was uh, absurd, so it was kind of fitting.
1: I actually I have like lovely memories of that. Like all the people that worked on that. It was a nice cast. It was a really nice cast. I remember Eddie, um, Adham Zidan. Yeah. Um, he was working on that, and uh, we had Eddie. It was one of the first people I had actually met at AUC because oh. we were both at the um, you know, when you go to the advising office to to choose the 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 the, the classes that you're going to yeah. take. He was in there with me at the same wow. appointment. That's so awesome. he was literally the first person I met there, and we were together in so, several classes. So it was cool to work with him on that. Yeah. I think he was playing what he was playing the role of the grandmother?
0: Yeah. Along with uh Ali Nasser, I think was the yeah, grandfather.
1: Exactly. Liar and I remember singing a weight with cotton for cotton for hair. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh my uh, those, god. Those were the good um, days. Hmm. And who else was there was um who was well, doing was, your sound? Uh,
0: uh running the sound, I think uh it may have been uh Temrodia.
1: Yeah. yes, yeah, yes. So uh, and yeah, and he, he always he would uh, he would take me home because he we, we both lived in Heliopolis, so he would drive me home. Oh, that's nice of him. Yeah, and uh, Mike. Yeah,
0: Mike, was was? I think yeah, he was the he was the dad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a really good mix of people. It was, was, it was Nicolette, very Nicolette, oh. yeah. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, it was, and I have a video actually. I don't know if you know that, but there's there's a video recording of the play so I'll post it in the
1: um, oh I'd love to see it again
0: yeah I'm gonna add links to things we talk about so it will all be there um so <laughs> I think around that year you left your studies in math and sociology at AUC and moved to Liverpool mm-hmm. wasn't it 2006
1: uh yes so okay. uh, the summer of 2006 was my last one in in in, in Egypt as a as an AUC student so tell us about that switch. Um, it was something I had been wanting to do for some time. You know, when I first went to, to AUC, I, I actually was thinking of doing theater as the next best thing to music. Um, but I kind of discovered my love for sociology and maths. And so I was that's what I was studying at AUC. But um, then the opportunity came along to study music. After a conversation with uh, this wonderful lady called Noel Kamil, mm-hmm. she um, I think I'm not sure at that time whether she was still my mother's boss or um, she was um, she was no longer working for that organization. Mm-hmm. but she, she's still a very close family friend and a bit of like a mentor to my mom. Um, and during this dinner party, I, I, where I performed some, some of my songs on the guitar and sang, she asked me, what are you wanting to do? What do you want? Like, what are your goals in life? What's your ambitions? Blah, 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 blah. And I told her I would love to go and study music, but right now, um, it's not really an option. I I, I had been, you know. I had been researching, and I had been like uh, talking with people from the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts um, ever since my teacher had shared with me um, the name, mm. and um, I told her I'd like to go there, but right now financially it's not very uh, viable. Mm. So she 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 just left it at that, and then the next day I found my mom asking me, she's like. Draw up the draw up the financial side of what you what it would take for you to go to the UK, mm-hmm. to go to that specific university. Um, so I did, and later on, this lady asks to see them, and basically she offers me a student loan.
0: Wow.
1: She said, I will lend you the money. Uh, we drew up an agreement, which was quite quite interesting for me because I, I had to draw up the agreement. So I had to sit and research all of these different student loan mm. contracts from all over the world. And at that point, she was based in Canada, so she wanted it to be based on Canadian contracts, mm. uh, like the typical student loans there. Um, so I drew up a, a, a contract that uh, was tailored to our situation, um, and she agreed that she would lend me, I think she lent me maybe, um, 75% of my tuition fees. Wow. Um, and the, the agreement was that I would fund the, like my family would fund the rest. Um, um, and she would fund the 75% for the tuition That's fees themselves nice. and, hmm, and that I would later pay her back and there was interest in everything. So it was, it was your typical, you know, agreement, right. uh, and so that that allowed me to go I went and I did my audition I got in and, and I moved to the to to the UK to to study music which had been like a dream of mine for so long I I, I honestly didn't think it was ever going to you know materialize
0: yeah.
1: um, but it did
0: and how was your experience studying there
1: I loved it. Um, it was so different um, being there because you had all of these, you know, extremely talented people all around you, and not just in music because it's, um, it's a, it's an institute for, for performing arts. You have uh, people there that are studying dance, people studying uh, acting, people studying management, uh, sound technology, theater technology, theater design. Um, so you have um, all, you know, all sorts of talented people from different backgrounds, and. So it was it was really cool because anytime you had a project, you kind of found people that you can work with right there. You know, you didn't have to go look too far. You, I found uh, musicians to work with. I found people that would work on my set if I was putting on a, a, a performance or a choreography or the video and, and so on. Um, people to record with because you had the the sound technicians there were studying yeah. sound. Um, engineering, but they needed people to to record, and you wanted to be recorded. So it was a win-win.
0: That's nice, that spirit of collaboration mm-hmm. and everyone helping yeah. everyone. and how was how is living cool. in it's Liverpool? Cool. Liverpool, well.
1: um, Liverpool was really, really nice. I really like it as a city, and I try to this day like to to visit maybe once a year if I can. Mm. Um, it's it's small. Uh, and the people are super friendly. Um, it has changed quite a bit since I first went in two thousand and six. Like the last time I, I was there last summer, and the it, it just keeps changing, changing so fast. Um, I often don't recognize certain areas because it's changed so much. But the people are so lovely and warm. This is something that I. I, I, I can't emphasize enough That's because nice. in the north of, of the UK, I feel, are a bit different than um, the south. Yeah. And it was, it was so nice to be surrounded by people from all sorts of backgrounds and yeah. nationalities. There was, it's quite a healthy international um, um, student quota there.
0: And uh, so how is it changing? Because you said that it's, you know, now Liverpool
1: is different. There's a since the I think it was two thousand and eight. It was the uh, European Capital of Culture in Liverpool. So at that point, there was a lot of money coming into the city, and so many different like kind of um, uh, just just renovations and 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 developments in different areas. There were loads of derelict uh, neighborhoods that have now. Uh, completely changed. There's a kind of a, an area in Liverpool. Um, I think they call it the Baltic Triangle, mm-hmm. which once upon a time was just warehouses and um, some 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 factories, I believe, um, and is now kind of the cultural hub. There are so many venues, like live music venues and creative um, entities, that that now exist there. I see. Um, And there's a complete, like, there's an area they call Liverpool One. It's like an open-air shopping mall. That completely didn't exist when I was there the first year. It was just, like, empty land. But it's just completely changed um, the face of um, downtown Liverpool.
0: So, economically, the city is, like, growing, basically.
1: Yes, yes. And also, I feel like the... the, um, the population, like the demographics of the population has kind of changed as well because mm-hmm. um, I think after a lot of Syrians, um, um, say Syrian refugees have, have traveled all over, so there's a, a healthy Syrian population. There has always been a big Yemeni population there. I think it's the second um, kind of, um, I don't know, ethnicity or, or, or second uh, nationality to, to, to be found in Liverpool after mm-hmm. British Wow. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a, a there was always a very big uh, Yemeni population there. Actually, the the founder of the Liverpool Arab Arts Festival in Liverpool is Yemeni.
0: Oh, that sounds cool. So in two thousand and eight, your song "Ticking Bomb," which I love by the way, was featured <laughs> in my first feature film, "Cryptic Reflections." Yes.
1: yes.
0: Do you remember that?
1: I do. I do. I think you you, you featured it was. Um, it was not the version that is currently on the album. It was a yes. it was a different an, version. It was an early
0: re- version. Uh, before yeah, before Al Mahrousah was out, you know. Yes, yes. So, uh, I supported you before mm-hmm. you released the album. I'm mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> So in 2009, you graduated from. Is it? Do you call Lippa?
1: Lippa, yeah.
0: Lippa. Uh, and and you said that you've met. You told me you've met Paul McCartney or Sir. McCartney twice. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that experience?
1: Well, the first time I met him, it was um, uh, it was a one-on-one songwriting session. And so, if um, the way it works there, if you're a music student and you specialize in songwriting, you get to um, in your last year um, to meet. To meet uh, Paul McCartney, and he um, sits with you to discuss one of your songs. It could be a song that you're still working on, or something that's finished, and you want to get his opinion. It's it's completely up to you. So, um, I, I I actually shared "Ticking Bomb" with him. Uh, I remember his he, he really liked it, and he 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 had one comment. I think he one of the sentences I repeated. Uh, the word all or something like this twice. And he Mm. said, just remove that word to make it flow uh, better. Um, So I don't know if you can call that co-writing with Paul McCartney. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh -uh.
0: Uh, Did he listen to the version that was in my film?
1: He listened to um, a live version because I had... before meeting him, I had had my, my like, final year showcase, and we recorded um, the live performance. So that was, the, that was what he heard. So it was a full band, you know, two percussionists, drummer, backing singers, um, guitar, bass, violin.
0: Yeah. The problem, oh. if you give him credit, I mean, it's nice, but you'll have to pay him.
1: I'll have yeah. to
0: pay him royalties.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think the thing is he, he removed a word. He didn't add a word. So maybe right. I'm okay.
0: <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, and then uh, in 2010, of course, you finished your first album, El mm-hmm. Um And uh, how do you translate Al Maharusa, by the way? Do you have if an you English do, version I of
1: that? Uh, a literal translation it means the guarded one but it's it's a it's a term that is often used to refer to Cairo right. uh, or to Egypt doesn't it masr al mahrousa masr al
0: mahrousa
1: uh, yes and it's also um, the mahrousa itself can also be a a, a, a female name mm. I, uh, and I so this same.
0: this album was recorded in Liverpool with uh, a group of musicians from the UK Sweden Norway and the Netherlands
2: Right? Mm-hmm.
1: And
0: I think uh, that year you established Hamzat Wasl Records in the UK. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes.
0: And then in early 2011, El uh, mahrosa was digitally distributed through hybrid records, which no longer exists.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but then it took a while for the album to be officially released uh, in Egypt. Tell us about that struggle. Yep.
1: Ah, that was, it was quite a struggle indeed. Um, so basically the way things work here in Egypt, in order to release any physical um, albums, you have to have uh, a license to uh, print, a license to distribute, a license to advertise, and it has to be um, kind of cleared with censorship. Um, so it took us about two years to get all of that done because... In 2011, when the revolution took place, uh, a lot of things were on hold. People weren't actually, you know, uh, going into work every day. I remember when we were applying to get things approved, they are like, oh, the lady that has the key to the drawer that your file is currently in is not here today or tomorrow. And this was like, you know, your typical excuse. This is what we were hearing. Nightmarish
0: (laughs) bureaucracy, basically.
1: Exactly. And it took me quite a while to get everything approved. I had to go through three lawyers to eventually get all my paperwork done. Um, and also here in, in Cairo, they, they don't really, um, they ha- I don't know, they haven't caught up with the times, so they don't understand that you can release music without necessarily having a record label behind you. Um, so they pushed me to have to um, open um, a, a branch of Hamzat Wasl Records here in Cairo. When it was something I wanted to do eventually, but like I had, I, they they pushed it forward so that I could get all the licenses that I need without having to find um, a third party to be involved.
0: Mm. And so, uh, you know, it was a struggle, but eventually, it was officially released in twenty twelve. And yeah. it was a number one bestseller at Virgin Mega Stores during its debut <laughs> month, which is fantastic, yeah, was, right? Was, how did that feel?
1: Was, oh my God! It was such a surprise, especially the way I found out. Um, so I was uh, in in one of the malls here where Virgin is, um, and just go. I was like, let's go check out where they've put my CD and how they dis- how they've displayed it. Um, and I found it like on. They have this column that has several um, shelves, and it was like all the way at the top. And I was like, "Why have they put it all the way up there? Nobody's gonna see it. You, it's <laughs> not even at eye level." So I was just about to, you know, like complain or see if I could talk to someone if they could put it somewhere better. And then I realized that there were numbers like. On every shelf, there's like a one, two, three going yeah. all the way down the shelves. So I asked someone, I was like, what are these numbers representing? They're like, oh, these are our best sellers. And I was like, oh, and it just took me a moment for it to sink in that like my album is number one at Virgin. You know, yeah. this is something that you, 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 you only dream about, you know, as a kid, like to be this this number one uh, album and so I pulled out my phone so I can take a photo. And the lady was like, No, 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 you can't take a photo of this. I was like, no, <laughs> you don't. You this is me. <laughs> I was like, I'm the lady on that on that on that on that right, CD. Right. So she was like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it was, uh, it that, was
0: quite fun. And especially after two years of like struggling with the
1: censorship exactly, committee. It, because because it. the censorship, you know, they did they they had um they they didn't approve of two songs. Okay. It was Anabin Mosrey Sugar, which is the anti FGM uh, track. Yeah. Um, and they I don't know, they, they had problems with with these with two verses of that of that of that track. They want they're like, if you want it to be released, you need to remove these two two verses. I was like, the whole thing is three verses, you've just removed two thirds of the song. Right. Um and there was also Cairo's minarets, which they um, they didn't like the fact that I used the word minarets.
2: Hmm, um, interesting. I wonder yeah. why.
0: Um So, do you know how many um, copies were sold of the album? Or
1: not? I don't have the figures, <laughs> unfortunately. Okay. But it, I've I had I think they weren't that many. Like I think I I didn't print more than two thousand. So uh, but it's nice that
0: at least it was independently produced. Yeah, so. exactly. You don't have to share profit with anyone,
1: exactly, which is cool. It's online, but like yeah. to, to be honest, there's nothing, not much there, right.
0: So, tell us about the deluxe edition which came out last year.
1: So, um, because I had problems with the, the company that was originally distributing my digital um uh, release of Al Mahrusa, um, I had them. Um, kind of take it down from all the digital platforms yeah. um, and I wanted to to get it back out there uh, but instead of just getting it back out there um, quietly I thought let's do a, a re-release uh, where we include three songs that weren't originally on um, the standard edition um, so it included Egypt's Waiting For Me which was a song that I had released um, in 2011 kind of Um, in solidarity with the revolution. Mm -hmm. Um, We had done a video, uh, but it was never put on any digital platform other than YouTube uh, as the video. And there were also two fully English tracks that I originally recorded with al Mahrousa, but I didn't include them in the standard edition. Um, So we thought, well, now's a good time to, to get them out there instead of having them, you know, kind of hiding, gathering dust. So we, we, I, I signed with a new distributor, and we got it out there last October.
0: That's nice. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you a funny trivia. Uh, in 2011, two weeks before the revolution started, I organized the first vegetarian festival in the history of Egypt. Oh, wow. At uh, Ahmed Shawi Museum. Oh, so cool. So the, yeah, and imagine two weeks before the revolution. <laughs> and it was very well attended, too. It was <laughs>
1: that the whole world got
0: turned upside down. It was well attended. I was surprised. Um, and uh, so um, in 2012, you also got your teacher qualification, and I think you were teaching music and drama at Modern English School, Cairo.
1: Mm-hmm. yes I was
0: how was that experience of teaching
1: it was a it was a very interesting experience because modern English school is also my school it's a school that I graduated from <clears throat> so it was very interesting experience going back and 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 experiencing it as a teacher and not as a student mm. um, and especially when you have some teachers that were that are still there that used to teach you it wow. was Surreal, you know, like that. I like, I didn't know what to call them. Do I call you Mister and Miss, right. or like, they're asking me to call them by their first name? Uh, so it was. A, it was interesting, and, and a bit. It took a bit of getting used to. Right. Um, and I got my teaching qualification while I had already started teaching. I was. Uh, I was a teaching assistant to, to start, and then um, situation. Um, so there were a few changes, and I, I ended up teaching classes while I was being getting my qualification. But I, I, I love teaching. To be honest, this was something that, as a kid, I had always seen myself as being a teacher. Um, before music kind of took took over um, my my life uh, or my aspirations, it was always like I, I saw myself as being a teacher. So it was nice to kind of get to live that yeah. dream. Um, and I you're was still no doing a-
0: teaching, right?
1: I'm no longer teaching, no. no I've, uh, that, I can see that you, uh,
0: you know, um, giving speeches about, um, you know, what we just talked about earlier, like the different kinds of music in Africa. Hmm. Like that would be so nice to actually like start I, some kind I, of uh, workshop and go around and teach
1: that. It would definitely be cool. I, I don't mind the idea of getting back into teaching. Actually, I think um, I would like, I would enjoy it. Maybe even more if it was um, students of a of a um, like a higher age, yeah. because when because I was teaching students from I think 11 years old all the way to 18, and it's such yeah. a you know, diverse experience. And the the younger Teenagers, ones, it's all,
0: basically,
1: yeah. And the, <laughs> the younger ones, you're, you're, you're you're spending more time disciplining. And asking them not to rock on their chairs and not right. to spit at each other and not to pull each other's hair—you know that kind of thing—and right. wanting them to pay attention when it's twenty-five kids in one class and they're taking music because they have to right. or drama because they have to. But then the older students who are have actually chosen this subject yeah. and are actually interested or have they a skill, enjoy it. exactly. And the I was thinking
0: actually something like a workshop that you can start, <laughs> and that could be a traveling workshop. So Mm. it's not just focused in Cairo, but you can actually travel in different cities in Egypt and also different parts of different countries in Africa and actually take that workshop with you to different places.
1: That would be quite cool, actually. I'll look into that. Maybe you can help me. (laughs) So in
0: 2014, you went back to Liverpool to pursue your master's in music industry studies. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So what, what, um, what led you to make that decision and how was that experience
1: so part of um, wanting to leave Cairo was um, you know kind of I had had started feeling suffocated and and feeling trapped uh, being in Cairo in, in the post 2011 world um and i think it started to i felt it was starting to affect my work at the school and i wanted i just wanted to get out so i had started searching into the idea of doing my master's so i was looking at liverpool again or going to spain There's, um um i think it's berkeley that have a branch there at valencia mm. so i was maybe Maybe I can go and, and, and do my master's there. But I felt like at Liverpool, I already have you know contacts. I, I can speak the language. Um, I, there will be almost no settling in time because I already know the city. Yeah. So um, I favored I favored that. I think it was also cheaper. Um, I have a so
0: feeling I, that Liverpool is in is like a city in your heart.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. It's my second home. Right. I feel like uh, I'm an honorary Scouser. There are certain situations where my Scouse accent comes up, and I sound like <laughs> oh, I belong there. <laughs> oh, can you
0: actually do a uh, uh, impression of uh, Beatles band members? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. I,
1: I, I can. I can. I, I mean, can... you met
0: Paul McCartney. You can at least do Paul.
1: Yeah. But I can't I'm I'm so bad with him, like with impressions. However, oh, yeah. what I can tell you is he knows a few Arabic words. Oh really? I didn't teach them to him. He already knew them. But he was he was very um eager to share them with me. And when he when we met for the second time, he remembered me, uh when it was it was on the in our the graduation day and he said like he repeated the same four words that he knew.
0: <laughs> what did he say?
1: He says um he knows um uh, Salam, shukran, and barakallah. <laughs> very, very random. That's, like, that's okay, cool shukran though. and salam. I know you know they, they make sense for you to know, but barakallah right. was very an interesting one.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So in 2015, you graduated with distinction, hmm. and uh, you performed that summer at the Liverpool Arab Arts Festival. Yes, which must have that, been, was, a, yeah, that amazing, was my second
1: right? time. It was a very, very um cool uh, I, I really like that festival to be honest. I I had I performed there in two thousand and eleven and I performed in two thousand fifteen. I also worked with them briefly as like a, a freelancer and as an intern in their office and the people that run uh the festival um are, are so lovely. They they feel like family to be honest. So every time I go to Liverpool I try to see them, uh I keep in touch. Um, and I think they do a lot of a lot of interesting work to kind of um, bring the the Arab community that lives in Liverpool closer, and to um, also expose the the Arab arts in all in all its forms to um, the Liverpool audience.
0: And I'm sure people in the UK come from different cities to attend this festival, right?
1: Yes, especially because Liverpool is is you know the location in the northwest, so a lot of people in the northwest can easily come, you know, even for events and leave the same day. It's close to Chester, it's close to Manchester, it's close yeah. to Leeds, even and Newcastle. You can you can go and come back. You can actually do You can go venture up from London. It's it's a two hour train. So right, it's not too bad. Mm. Yeah, and
0: so that year, twenty fifteen, you also moved to London. So, what, what made you do that?
1: So, um, I moved to London because um, I wanted to to find kind of bigger opportunities. I was trying to find work. Uh, I wanted to work in the music industry. You know, I had just gotten this master's uh, in music industry studies, um, and I wanted to to learn more and to kind of apply what I had learned uh, at, at, at work. Um, so, I moved to London. Uh, to East London specifically, which gave me a whole new perspective on the city and made me fall in love with it um, because originally I didn't like London very much. Yeah. Um, and it just... I, I kept searching for different opportunities and unfortunately I was always... Um, I was failing mainly because I didn't have a work permit. Like people saw that I was there on a student visa and that they either needed to sponsor me or I needed to, you know, all the different... Um, obstacles that they needed to 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 jump through um so sometimes people wouldn't even look at my application when they find out that i don't have uh, a work permit already Mm. so i ended up having to move back to cairo um, and that must have been
0: like soul crushing right
1: very very
0: it was like
1: i i think my first night in cairo i cried myself to sleep i really did not want to be coming back to cairo right
0: yeah. I'll tell you a funny story, though, to to cheer you mm. up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> the first time I, I went to the UK, I was there for a conference, uh, which was in Oxford, but I actually stayed in London for almost a week with a friend, and he mm. was living in Elephant and Castle. Oh,
1: wow.
0: Uh, you know that area well, right?
1: Uh, not, is, not too well, but I know of it. It's yes. famous uh,
0: because uh, Charlie Chaplin was supposedly born there. Uh, (laughs) But it's kind of a a messy place. I mean, I loved it and everything. uh, But in many ways, it reminded me of Egypt. Uh, In any case, uh, when when I went to see him, the first thing that he told me, he told me, by the way, this area is known for stabbings. And I was like, this is the first piece of information that you're sharing with me. And then he shows me a map and he's like, when you come back at night, try not to take those streets, but try to take the main street and then... Turn at this street. I was like, "Wow, thank you so much!" Like, <laughs> I'm really scared right now.
1: say <laughs> here, you need a minute, you know?
0: He's <laughs> <laughs> like, it's that, "That line, like this area is yeah. not for stylings, Like, thanks.
1: Funny, the funny thing is like when I moved to East London, um, so I was, I, living in Liverpool, I didn't always live in, in, in the nice areas. I, I lived kind of maybe on the border of, of Toxteth, which is also known for stabbings and known for like not being very safe. Um, and I remember one night in East London, I was um, trying to get home, but I had stayed out too late. And so there were no, um, no trains running back to, to, to my area. And so I had to walk home. Uh, I could also, I think that for some reason, I think maybe it was a Saturday night or something. There were so many people out. So the network was really bad. So uh, I couldn't uh, get an Uber. I couldn't get anything. My network, I couldn't even see the map to make sure I was walking in the right direction. And I just eventually I walked. I think it was maybe a 45 minute walk. And I got home, but people were like, Stopping me uh, when I was asking for directions, mm. like they were so shocked that I'm gonna walk home. You're gonna walk home in East London, you know? it's <laughs> Like, dude, I come from Cairo and I lived in Toxton I'll be fine. Right.
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, so the second time I went, I was also there. And the second time I went to the UK was for a conference as well. But I went to Manchester. I haven't been Ooh. to Liverpool yet, but I'd love to visit. Sure. Uh, but I really enjoyed Manchester. <laughs> Uh, and especially I was staying near the Curry Mile, so I really huh? liked that area.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so in uh, 20, 2016, um, you started working at Ubuntu Art Gallery as the gallery manager, yes. and uh, I think I've seen uh, a lot of pictures of you on social media uh, in that capacity, <laughs> and that sounds like a really fascinating experience, so can you tell us more about it?
1: So when I first moved back um, from London, it took me a while to kind of get used to being back. and, And I had all of these hopes and dreams and projects that I wanted to do, but they didn't really materialize. Um, and at one point, my stepfather, who owns Ubuntu Art Gallery, uh, said, uh, asked me if I would step in just to help out with. Um, uh, they were having some staff shortage because one of the staff members was uh, doing her her final year exams, and so she couldn't come in every day anymore. Um, so I, I just kind of stepped in to fill, you know, a, a couple of shifts. Mm. Um, and then things went okay. So he asked me, how would you like to take on the role of gallery manager? We're looking for someone to manage this place. So I said, all right. He's like, it it can be a temporary thing because I know you have all of these different plans you want to do with your music and, and all these different projects. But um, you can, you know, take it on until you feel comfortable or until you, you, you no longer want to. So we agreed to that. Um, this was, uh, I think, it was even Ramadan. So it was, it was June 2016, mm-hmm. um, and shortly after, I started hiring a team, and, and the place slowly uh, grew. <clears throat> the, the The gallery was just a, a one story uh, kind of small space, and then eventually we took on um, the floor above, and somehow like connected them to. Together and we host two uh, exhibitions um, every month, mm-hmm. um, and we take part in international art fairs. So I usually liaise um, with these um, kind of entities and 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 end up traveling, which is quite cool. Yeah. Uh, so we've been to Morocco, we've been to Dubai, we've been to London and New York and Miami, nice. <laughs> representing you know representing the gallery and ex- and taking. Egyptian artists work with us there to to kind of showcase and, and That's sell. Very cool. Mm.
0: Are you still the gallery manager or
1: Um so I stepped back uh, in a, a lot of my responsibilities or maybe my time. I still uh, do work with them and okay. uh but my role has just kind of slightly changed, but we yeah, they still call me uh, and my title is still the same.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so, starting from 2017, there's a, a, that's the beginning of your um, travels to different African nations. Mm. Um, so tell us about the different countries you've been to and some of the highlights that you want to talk about.
1: So in 2017, my first kind of, you know, uh, excursion beyond Egypt in, in Africa it was to Gabon uh, in Libreville. Um, basically, there was a workshop that was held by Berkeley uh, in Gabon because they were opening up um, a university there or in partnership with the Gabonese government called the uh, African Music Institute. <clears throat> um, sadly, the, this, this institute has not yet officially opened its doors. It's, it's, they were supposed to open up in 2017, and this workshop was a, kind of like a publicity marketing stunt for. For the university, um, they had—I think maybe it was eighty or something—different musicians from all over Africa to come in to attend this week-long workshop. Uh, you only had to pay for your flights; they covered your accommodation and uh, the cost of the workshop and your your uh, mm-hmm. breakfast and your lunch. That's awesome. so, yeah, it was really cool. So I got to meet amazing musicians from all corners of of the continent, um, lovely, lovely people, and all of the the all of the workshop participants that were not from Gabon were staying in the same hotel. So we kind of turned it into like a, almost like a campsite, or what you know, like what I imagined summer camp to be like, because we were with, with each other all day and all night, and just people playing music and and and. Mm collaborating and, and performing. And it was, it was a really, really good experience. Uh, We had amazing teachers there that uh, maybe some of the things that I was being taught at the workshop were not new to me because um, I had already, you know, been taught it at uh, either in my master's or my, my, my undergrad degree. But it was a, a nice refresher, and to some things, and also just meeting the people. I think for me, it was right. the main reason. Being a
0: in a different context with different people, exactly,
1: uh, exactly. it
0: makes a difference. And of course, exactly. uh, you have other trips in Nigeria, yeah. Ghana, Kenya.
1: So, Gabon was just a workshop, um, so it was a sp- very kind of specific, you know, uh, scheduled trip. But then <clears throat> I wanted, I've been toying with the idea of doing a bit of like a tour around Africa to, to to discover and research and explore different music and see what's going on and understand how the industry works in the different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, see how the, you know, the audience receives different things. Because I didn't want to be just learning... About African music from behind a computer screen and through headphones, I wanted to go and experience it myself. So I thought, okay, I have some money saved up. Let's invest that in a bit of a trip. Um, And I wanted to start with Nigeria since that was what kind of um, ignited my whole interest with the with the music of this of this continent. So I, yeah, exactly. So I I decided to go to Nigeria um during um the time which uh, th- there's a festival they have in october uh, called Celebration, so it's a celebration of fella and i wanted to time my trip to nigeria to coincide with the festival so i can attend it and see what's going on because i wanted to see you know I wanted to to experience that and see how the audience vibes with with the performers and what's going on and go to the shrine, which is the the venue there that is uh, run by by his uh, his by fellas children, and where his uh, son Femi Kuti he performs there every Thursday. Um, I'm not sure if he performs there on Sundays as well, but definitely every Thursday. So it was just a place that I wanted to go I want I had friends from Nigeria either from my time in the UK or from Gabon so a lot of the contacts that I made in Gabon came in handy later on when I I, I traveled to Nigeria and when I traveled to Kenya um, and yeah it was it was it was very special I spent a month in Nigeria in Lagos um, and I made uh, I met some amazing people I fell in love with the city I fell in love with the culture like even more than than I had before and um, experienced all sorts of food. And okay, fun fact, I will give you one myself now. Yeah. You know, you know, Molokheya? Of course. Okay. So but, uh, Describe
0: what it is, please, for those who don't uh, know. <laughs>
1: it, it's a leaf that is similar to spinach, but it's not quite spinach, and we turn it into uh, a soup. We chop it super finely and put it in some broth. It's a slimy, and
0: slimy, right?
1: It's a bit slimy. It has a bit of draw to it. And it and has a lot
0: of garlic in it, and it puts you to sleep.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So and, uh, yeah, It's they, a national
0: they, the, dish in Egypt, basically.
1: Yes, yes. And actually, you know, with, about the, the whole put you to sleep thing, you know, I've heard that the, the ancient Egyptian priests used to burn molochaya in the temples to mm. induce this, like, uh, uh, this, I don't know, trance like state for the people when they enter the, the temples. Don't make um, me sad, but, uh,
0: Nadia, because I don't <laughs> have any molochaya here and I haven't eaten it you in years. It. So I'm like you suffering. Can,
1: I used to find molokhia in Liverpool, I'm sure, and um, my sister finds it in New York and in Chicago, so I'm sure I you'll find it a, if you... I
0: have to search, because I haven't found it
1: yet. You'll find the frozen ones. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, so the fun fact is, Nigerians also eat Molokheya. Oh, that's cool. And they make it very, very similarly to ours, um, however, they don't have the garlic, uh, in, like, infused uh, paste, the the ta'leya. The, the they don't do that. Uh, the garlic right. they they just have kheya
0: and they, they don't, don't eat it with n- r- they don't like fry okay. the garlic
1: and yes, add it yes.
0: into the molokheya yeah. and by the way, the way the molokheya um, and, uh, Egyptians like to eat it with rice mhm
2: uh
0: i like to eat it as a soup like just yeah, I, exactly I like I it that much and uh yeah. and the thing is uh when i did some research about it to look at the nutritional facts it's much more mm-hmm. nutritious than spinach like really? If, if you actually, yeah, you can just look it up. Like the things that it has, it's just crazy healthy for you.
1: <laughs> I love it. It's one of my favorite dishes. Like it's something I could possibly eat every day. So that's cool.
0: How do they eat it? Do they eat it with rice as well?
1: No, they don't eat it with rice. They eat it with um, like a swallow. So it's uh, they they make this paste that okay. that could be made from different uh, types of flour. So it's a bit like a dough. Uh, and you 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 pinch a bit of it and and you eat it with they 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 kind of scoop it up with with the dough, um, so I I can't yeah and I think they they have a red sauce that is similar to our dema that they also include with it.
0: Another fun fact: I think Japan also has morokhiya. Really, which is very strange. Yeah. Um, so, um, what what do you think? I know you worked. Um, uh, for Mostakil Records as their marketing mm-hmm. manager. But I really want mm-hmm. to know, what do you think of the music scene in Egypt, particularly the independent music scene?
1: Well, I think we have so much potential. We have so many talented people, but not enough uh, platforms and, and support systems for them. Um, to kind of, you know, um, emerge and to, to have a spotlight shed on them. Um, Mustafil has been around for, for, I think, is it over 10 years or so? And, um, they do a really good job uh, with with um, with some artists that they work with, uh, but they're just one company. You know, I think I feel like they're, they're the only company that exists that does what they do. So Mustafel also has sister companies that all fall under the umbrella of um, the big kind of mother company called Eka. Um, so they have, have um, uh, Al muharrik which is a booking agent. They have Maazif, which is an online uh, Arabic. Uh, mag- music magazine, they have um, uh, samsara which is the, the the management agency. So they have, and I think they have um, a, a licensing and sync agency as well called Awyev. So they have, you know, they cover all sorts of uh, aspects of the music industry, um, but we need more of that, you know. At the end of the day, this is one company, you know, resources are limited, they can only do so much but you, we we need more platforms and more people working in the industry, and because there are so many so many talented musicians, true. but they can't take their talent and their skill and their art further because you know you need a support system for that.
0: And I always tell my friends here in the US that this is hard for them to imagine, but the art scene in Egypt, at least when I was living there, was especially the underground art scene was very inspiring, and and there's a lot of crazy experimental work in terms of dance, theater, music. So, uh, But when I was living in Egypt, the first independent label that I remember is 100 Copies, Mahmoud mm-hmm. Do you remember them?
1: I remember them. I met Mahmoud for the first time a couple of months ago okay. um, by pure coincidence. But, yes, I, I have. Many, many up. years
0: ago, he was like, it was a, a very small operation. I think literally they were producing 100 copies for, exactly. <laughs> for each album, uh, mm. but they did a really good job. So people like Maurice Luka. I have so much respect
2: for him. Maurice exactly. Luka,
0: I think, uh, started with uh, with 100 copies before, you know, uh, you before know going work, to any work. other label. So mm. that's his be- beginning really. Mm. Um, so ha- because of your interest in Pan Africanism, and uh, have you collaborated with the Nile Project?
1: Um I applied but I didn't get in. Oh
0: man. <laughs> yeah. You're the so, perfect person.
1: <laughs> I had applied. I don't think they're they're functioning at the moment, but uh, I had I remember applying for at least one of the rounds. Okay. Um and um I I had been in in touch with uh, one of the organizers, kind of just to to uh, wanting Mina, to Mina
0: Mina Mina Gerges.
1: I, I believe so, yeah, yeah. With Mina, we want I wanted to kind of bounce some ideas off of him and 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 to yeah. kind of pick his brain a bit. Uh, but we never ended up doing that. I don't think he's not in Egypt anymore, so it was a bit harder for us to to yeah. meet. But we we said we would Skype at some point. But uh,
0: I was uh, in touch with him many years ago when he was living in San Francisco before Mm -hmm. the Nile Project, but I I saw this project grow from an idea to become this amazing thing. That's
1: Um, super. I love
0: it. Have you heard of the Sierra Leone's Refugee All-Stars by any chance?
1: No, I haven't.
0: So, uh, check them out when you get a chance. One of the band members, uh, Jeffrey Black Nature, is a good friend of mine. And Mm -hmm. he lives here, actually, in northern New Mexico. We've jammed together as well, so I wanted to share that fun fact. So, uh, as we wrap up here, um, what musical artists should our listeners check out? And of course, whoever you yeah. mention, we can uh, include links to their SoundClouds or anything. Uh, especially uh, for artists from our part of the world, from either you know Africa or specifically Egypt or the Arab world, like.
1: Who, who mm. should they listen to? This is a this is a it's a bit of a difficult question because like you can't put on a, <laughs> a completely extensive list, but no, um, yeah, you would have
0: to pick like three or something will, like that.
1: Okay, so I think um, there's the I'm I'm a bit biased because I worked with them, but Likfa, which is a collaboration between Maurice Luca, Tamara Abu and Maryam Saleh, that was released by Mustafa Records. Um, and I think that album is very, very interesting. Just the the mix of the two, the backgrounds of of all three musicians because each one of them does something that's completely different to the other, and seeing how they collaborated on that album is is it's something very, very different, um, and yet so contemporary and so Egyptian. Uh, so that's that's an album I would recommend um, from. Maybe I'll say um, something from Nigeria. I would definitely recommend people either check out Fela Kuti um, if they don't already know his music or his son's music because uh, Shayun Kuti took over his father's band when he passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Shayun is doing a great job with with uh, keeping the legacy and and um, the music he makes is amazing. I, I, I managed to hear him perform or to watch him perform several times when I was there. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, there are several people coming out of Nigeria, to be honest, there's Burna Boy and Wizkid and Davido and the, the, there's, there's a lot coming out of there in Tenny, um, it's just really, really cool, uh, music coming out of Nigeria all the time. Um, I was recently in Kenya as well. So there's a, there's a few music, few bands coming out of there that it's a different sound than what's happening in Nigeria, but, um, uh, Salty Soul is, is, a, is a, is a big band over there that I, I, quite like their music and then there's rash band who are my friends and they're also a band that i'm collaborating with at the moment um we're hoping to record some music together they're a kenyan rock band mm. and they're quite they're quite they have quite a cool sound some really really good um, songs and they just won um an african music award for best rock uh, last year so they're they're some they're someone to watch
0: Thank you. You know, I'll tell, I'll share with you something interesting. Uh, Maurice Luca and I started around the same time in 2003. <laughs> we were in a, an electronic music workshop together, organized by Studia Mededin,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: that was before he recorded anything, really. I think he was in Bekia at the time, maybe. And oh. uh, and uh, but I really like his solo stuff, especially uh, the influence of Shabi. Popular mm-hmm. Egyptian music uh, on his stuff. I really, I really like that.
1: He's, he's and he's a lovely person as well. Like I, we went to to Ghana together when uh, Lifa was nominated for the African Music Award, and so I got to 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 know him better there. We hadn't like properly met. We had only you know <laughs> t- talked on the phone or, or on email. So it was a really really good. Uh, he was a good trip partner. And we we stay in touch now. So I, I really, I love what he's doing on the musical front.